Welcome to The Change, a podcast about perimenopause for people in their 30s and 40s. I'm your host, Caitlin O'Connor, naturopathic doctor with a practice in Denver, Colorado, supporting patients with their health and hormones throughout the many phases of life. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Change. Today we have my two BFFs for life, April Ashe Charmaine and Naomi. I met April. P.S. I get to call her April because we are besties, but Ashe is her professional name. We met our junior year of high school when I moved from Milwaukee to Denver and have been besties ever since. We then met Naomi a few years later when we were recording music with her husband at the time. Fun fact, we were in a hip-hop spoken word group in the late 90s. These two folks are creative, bold, brave, and artistic free women. April Ashe Charmaine is a nomadic renaissance woman who teaches dance, movement, and dramatic arts across the globe with their company Soul Vita Dance. You can find Ashe and more about her work at soulvitaworldwide.com. And then we have Naomi. Naomi is a creative jack-of-all-trades. She's been a costume designer, fashion designer, seamstress, hairstylist, makeup artist, potter, and fine artist for over two decades. She is currently pondering next steps for harnessing her creative talents and diving into the entrepreneurial space. I love you guys both so much, and thank you so much for being here. Hi. Hello. (laughs) So what we're going to use this episode for is to get a little bit personal about your perimenopausal experiences. One of the things that I've noted is because this is a sort of cultural conversation we don't have a lot, that people tend to feel a little bit isolated or a little bit like embarrassed when they talk about it. So hopefully as more people are sharing their stories and experiences, we can open up the conversation. So to begin, I want to ask you guys the same three questions that I ask all of my guests. And the first question is, what is something that you do now that your younger self would have judged you for? Definitely staying home and going to bed early. (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. Maybe just being more mindful of my own self. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Instead of putting other people first all the time. Awesome. So what surprised you about perimenopause? Naomi, you can go first. <laughs> um, that I was having it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. Like I can write down in my calendar within a day or two when my period is coming. And now it's like very haphazard. It could happen at any point in time. It can, I usually I would just wake up in the morning and I knew my period was coming and it was there. And now it's like in the middle of the night or on some random day that I wasn't even expecting it. So maybe that's what surprised me the most thus yeah. far. So one, that it was happening yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. And that two, <laughs> it, that you would see that disruption of menstrual cycles. Like I think... For some people, they think, oh, I'm going to have my period really regularly. And then one day my periods are going to stop and never yeah. come back again. Yeah. Versus like, oh, I'm going to have a few years where my periods are going to be kind of weird. Yeah. What about you, April? What surprised you about perimenopause? Um, Well, same in that it was happening. I'm like, <laughs> at 42, I'm like, whoa, what is this? But I think something that really surprised me, like I'm fascinated by the hot flash experience. I yeah. think many people make it seem like it's this terrible thing. I am somebody that loves to be warm. (laughs) And so I'm like, sweet. I'm going to warm myself up all the time. But it's just fascinating, like what that your body could just like change so quickly. And you're like having so much sensation. And I think it's just really kind of cool to study. That's an interesting perspective because we are so told like the only message about hot flashes is that they're bad. Right. Like I've never had anyone explain it as like anything other than terrible. So the fact that you could 
even just bring it to neutral or to that place of neutral observer. It sounds like for you, it's like, ooh, a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of like, whoa, my body's doing this like new and interesting thing. And also you're just a... Enjoy that warm-blooded sensation. (laughs) (laughs) Do you feel warmer to the touch when it's happening? No, actually, now that you're mentioning it, because I am getting like a little warm, heated here for some reason right now. Do you want me to touch you? Um, (laughs) But I think I'm like internally super warm and maybe even a little cold on the outside. Yeah, Mm. I think what can be common is people have an internal warm sensation, but almost like a cooler, clammy sensation on the skin because... Nobody fully understands the mechanisms of hot flashes. Like it's not a biochemical process that's been like definitively understood. But one of the thoughts is as your brain's adjusting to different levels of estrogen, the hypothalamus, which is a component of your brain that measures temperature, gets like a little wonky. So it it's trying to take in sort of the temperature of the room and it almost like reads it wrong. And some people don't get hot flashes. They get like chills and cold flashes. So I was going to say, like, okay, there's been nights where I've woken up and literally my nightgown is, like, soaked. Yep. And I n- didn't feel, like, hot or anything like that. Night but then sweats. it's kind of a cold, hot feeling. But I don't know if it was necessarily, like, a, yeah. It is. That's a night sweat. Oh, oh there. yeah. And it doesn't happen all the time, but it's yeah. it sucks. Like, sometimes I have to get up in the middle of the night and literally change my whole shebang. But, yeah, that is 100% <laughs> like a night sweat, which is, yeah. like, a cousin of hot flashes but doesn't necessarily come with the heat sensation some people get chills some people get like anxiety or like almost panic attack feelings some people get like dizzy or almost faint feeling yeah a lot of those things are like varieties of normal like temperature and sensation changes as the brain is trying to adapt to these variable hormone levels I'm like really so excited we just had a breakthrough. (laughs) I know. And it's so funny because I like when you asked me like what's surprising you and I'm thinking like, you know, I don't really feel like I have a whole lot of symptoms other than feeling like a little bit more emo lately. And I think it's also due to just like external stressors. Yeah. But like I just didn't even think of that. And then because it doesn't happen a whole lot. But when it does, it is profound because I'm Mm -hmm. like, holy. Yeah. Wow. It's not on your it's not on people's radars. And I think Mm -hmm. to that. I just had a patient who's been worked up by all these doctors for like numbness and tingling in her arms. And it just ended up being a perimenopausal symptom for her, which doesn't mean she shouldn't have done the workup. But it means at some point somebody should have been like, oh, what's also happening with your periods? What's also happening with your other stuff? Okay, maybe we should do instead of, you know, sending you to every neurologist in town, maybe we should do six to eight weeks of hormone replacement therapy and see if it gets better. If it gets better, we know it's hormone related and we can you know, decide, do we want to continue this therapy? Or you can just rest more assured that, oh, this was a hormonal symptom. I would be much more relieved knowing that it's not neurological and that it's actually just perimenopausal. Yeah, I mean, so much of, yeah, so much of my job is just explaining normal physiologic processes to women that nobody has ever taken the time to explain to them, Uh, which is great. It's the favorite part of my job because it's super easy. We don't have to change anything. We don't have to do anything. We just have to say, oh, yeah, this is normal. And here's why. If you want to do something about it, we can. But if it's not bothering you, like, you can just kind of chill out and keep being normal. Yeah. All right. What do you enjoy about perimenopause? Um, I think it's, I, it might relate more just to the phase of the life of, like, I'm a grown-ass woman. And it's cool to be here. It's cool to be uh, aware of my body and, like, accepting and curious and... Yeah, much less shameful. Yeah. Yeah. 
What about you, Naomi? Um, I don't know. I think I'm excited to um, create my own opinion of what's happening within me and to be able to share that. And I feel blessed that I can pass it on to my daughter because I was coming from more of a fear-based place. And yeah. now like to be able to share with her in a way that is more navigatable for her and not scary yeah, would be exciting for me. And the um, idea of not having periods anymore would be pretty cool because I've always had really hard periods. Yeah. Amen to that. No more fear of I, I'm looking forward to that day of like, oh, like actually can't get pregnant. Don't have to. Yeah. And don't <laughs> yeah. have to buy tampons anymore or pads or whatever. Like, yeah. Don't have to worry about birth control. Exactly. Take all that. But now I'm a lesbian. So, hey. <laughs> Take all that pad money and take it to the club. <laughs> yes. And I like that idea of changing like our matrilineal stories, like reclaiming that matriarchal power. Like you guys know, like mm -hmm. I kept my last name and gave my boy children like my last name yeah. very much as a part of being like, no, my family lineage is like matrilineal now. We're yeah. doing it a little bit differently. So I'm really about creating those strong matrilineal social connections and being like, hey, I'm going to pass these messages yeah, down like, exactly. to my children, my children of all genders, like, hey, mm -hmm. let's know what's happening in our body. Let's not have secrecy. Let's talk about it. And let's like honor the power that comes from it and not just your life ends when your periods end yeah. and you might as well just go, you know, sit in the corner with your <laughs> old DAP. <self. laughs> <laughs> oh, <dry. laughs> no, and and adding to that I think that is important because I you have two sons yeah and I think it's super important to just talk openly about anything that you're dealing with as a female or a woman around them because it it normalizes it for them as well yeah you know in the future because I don't know I've always like been very open and talking about my period or whatever to my boys and now they don't bat an eyelash they're not like oh my god that's weird like if you're willing to go, if you want to get into a vagina, then you should be willing to support and have knowledge of what happens. Oh, oh yeah. Like my kids will be like, <laughs> yeah. what's that? I'm like, oh, that's just menstrual blood. Yep. No big deal, guys. And <laughs> Nothing like, to see here. <laughs> yeah, they've been watching birth story videos and oh, learning about ovaries. That's so good. For a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so April, how old are you, friend? I am currently 43 years old. In terms of your perimenopausal journey, tell me a little bit about what it's been like for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, about a year ago, I was experiencing significant hot flashes. I went about six months without having a cycle and was like, well, what the heck is going on? And was then able to visit my regular quote-unquote doctor and get some labs done and confirm that I am indeed perimenopausal. Okay, and since that diagnosis of perimenopause, how have things been? This year has been a little bit different than the last as uh, my BFF and naturopathic doctor got me on some herbs, which helped to regulate uh, some of the symptoms that I was having before, which were a lot of hot flashes and significant missed cycles. So, yeah, it's been a little different. What I think is interesting about that is in a lot of respects, we think about this as like a linear process where it sort of progresses in a specific like time frame of events. But actually it is and can be for some folks more circular where you might have 
months or years that are more symptomatic and then reach a plateau and then go back into a either the similar symptoms you're having before or something totally new, that it is changeable and sort of responsive to your environment. Like as far as like stress levels or what was going on in your external life, were there other things happening at that point when you were symptomatic that you think could have been influential? Yeah, I think this is a big part of what has changed in the middle. I mean, last year when I was having those symptoms, I was moving across the country in the middle of the COVID and racial justice pandemic. There were fires in California, fires in Colorado. And so it was pretty high level (laughs) Um, stress, stress feelings. And I realized I've regulated so much more this year, like my meditation practice and just grounding practices. I feel way more stable and calm. So I was going to ask you, is that a significant reason why I'm having less symptoms? Actually, yeah. So one of the things that happens during that perimenopausal process is your brain is adapting to variable hormone levels. And our body perceives that like as a stressor, right? Like one of the things our bodies are constantly trying to do is sort of take a review of the environment, looking at all the inputs and trying to find a balance. So when the hormones are changing in a way that's sort of very normal for this time of life, but still a stressor for the body, it makes the brain more sensitive to external stressors. So when external stressors are higher, often we can see an increase of symptoms or new symptoms or intensifying of symptoms because it's just like the straw that broke the camel's back. The body can't find balance and also be like interpreting all these sort of stressful inputs. So it is a phase of life where finding that stress management practice or cutting out some of the external stressors can be really helpful. So you're sort of the master of self-care, I would say. That's a big part of your personal practice, but also your professional practice. So why don't you walk me through like a day in the life of your self-care? Oh, my goodness. I have a very dedicated morning ritual practice. Yes. And it shifts from time to time, but I'm pretty blessed. I'm an empty nester. I can take a couple hours in the morning to have like a full okay, I'm choosing my day. So for me, that means enjoying like a warm beverage, typically coffee. I love to write in my journal. I do morning pages. I do like three pages a day. Um, I chant Nam-myoho Renge-kyo. I do yoga. And I love to go outside and hug trees and and walk in the morning. (laughs) What I would say is I think it's interesting to see like we're the same-ish age, whereas I had my kiddos later, so I'm sort of going through this perimenopausal period of life with, like, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old currently, and you're going through it sort of as an empty nester, kind of having more freedom for exploration, more time for self-care, and I think that's really interesting because as people are having their kids at an older age, potentially, we see this, like, overlap of going into the perimenopausal period. And one of my mentors described what's happening hormonally during perimenopause as your estrogen levels are higher, but your progesterone levels are lower. And progesterone, progesterone is like the hormone that makes you want to like feather your nest. It makes the uterus like juicy and ready for the implantation of an egg. So she had this metaphor of like when you're in your peak reproductive years, you're like making this nest and it's soft and it's cozy and you want people in it. And then during those perimenopausal years with lower progesterone, you're like 
poking at everybody in your nest with your beak and being like, get out of here. I am over this gestational <laughs> phase. I want to have freedom. But we see so many people who are like entering that hormonal phase, which maybe is pushing you away from, you know, nurturing and intensive parenting. But you still very much have like a full nest of like little chirping hungry birds that want things from you. And I think that can certainly like exacerbate that irritability piece, the mood piece. We love our children, obviously, but like children are a stressor and especially when they're like still in your home needing things all the time. So I kind of look at you guys sometimes like, oh, y'all are out here living your best lives, staying out after 8 p.m. <laughs> and uh, I'm not right now. <laughs> um, okay. So Naomi, how old are you? I am 48, approaching 49 in a couple weeks. And what is your hormonal journey been like over those last few years? Um, actually, it's been pretty even keeled. I mean, I think last year I started um, having missed periods. But other than that, I felt really good. Um, I feel like lately, which is also interesting that you touched on the piece about stress, um, I'm experiencing a job change and a move. So I feel like um, this last month, my period was like almost two months late. And then it came, of course, the day I was leaving to go out of town. <laughs> I'm like, thanks for being two months late and coming right then. But um, and I also I think lately have been feeling like during that two months that it was missing. It was like PMS for two months. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, when is my period going to start? Please, God, let this go away. In earlier perimenopause, what people will experience is sort of periods coming closer together, often being heavier and having, you know, more symptoms related to, you know, mood or sleep or breast tenderness. And then as they're moving into sort of later phases, we start to see more of those skipped periods. And what's happening when you're skipping a period is you're brain is talking to your ovaries and being like, oh, hey, it's time to ovulate. Let's recruit an egg. Let's make some estrogen. And as the ovaries are a little bit older, they stop responding as strongly to that message. So you have this prolonged period of time where your ovaries are making estrogen, but you're not ovulating yet. So you're not making that like balancing progesterone. So that sort of prolonged PMSy feeling is just like estrogen influence, estrogen influence, estrogen influence without the progesterone to sort of balance it out. So that's where a lot of the mood stuff can come from. And then oftentimes when cycles do start, they're going to be heavier because you were building that uterine lining during all of those um, many, many weeks that you weren't ovulating. Have you had any like spotting or sort of lighter cycles or anything like that? No spotting, but it was, like I said, two months late. And then when it did happen, it was a weird. It was like super light and quick. Yeah. So what that might mean, and sometimes if we're not having like a full menstrual flow or we're having more spotting, is that you never really ovulated. You just made um, a thick enough uterine lining that at some point the body was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to shed this with like a lighter cycle because we didn't make that much estrogen. It never triggered ovulation. And then you can get what are called anovulatory or not ovulation cycles. And then you get like a little bit of menstrual bleeding, but you probably didn't have like a full uh, release of an egg prior to that. And again, that's moving more into the later stages of perimenopause where we see less estrogen production, farther away ovulation, and then some of what we consider more of those like 
specific menopausal type symptoms. Like some people get more hot flashes. Sometimes people get more irritable. Brain fog is a big thing. Have you guys had oh, any God. experience with brain fog? Yes. And I'm already kind of foggy brained anyway. <laughs> I'm like, please let me survive through the day and remember things. <laughs> Oh, I was in rehearsal last night and it totally happened to me. I was like so clear about what I was going to say and then it disappeared. And then someone taught me a tool like you can tap like your third eye hmm. um, as a tool to help you like come back into presence. Oh, that's a good. Oh, I'll have to try that one. Yeah, because it's like, you know exactly what you want to say, but it's like your brain isn't attached to your mouth and you like cannot find the word. And I think it's kind of disturbing for people because I think how it's interpreted is, oh, I am beginning like the inevitable cognitive decline of being an older person. Like this is the beginning of like a slide down. Oh, But it's not true. Yeah, don't be <laughs> Don't worry. That's not what's actually <laughs> happening is, and we talk about this a lot, is as the brain is adapting to a lower or more variable estrogen state, the brain is, is, is a little bit stressed out by that. And during its adaptive period, it's not quite as quick on the turnaround or picking up words. But post-transition, it does adapt to that newer, lower home, horm that newer, lower hormonal state. And a lot of that comes back. So it's not necessarily like the beginning of a cognitive decline as much as it is just like a hallmark of the transition. Like as the brain is adapting, drops the ball a little bit every once in a while, but you do pick it back up on the other end. Because a lot of individuals seem like they're worried about like, oh, do I have Alzheimer's? Is this dementia? Like, does this mean like I'm not as like smart as I used to be or good at learning things? But really, it's just like a temporary thing while your brain is adapting to the new reality. Yeah, I can relate to that. I know my partner a lot of times is like, I can't believe you don't remember that. Like, and I'm like, OK, I need to start taking notes. <laughs> 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 and how old is your partner? Um, 35, 36. Is there anything in your being in like a hormonally different stage than your partner that has been like interesting or unexpected or provided any challenges? Like I said, I really haven't felt a lot of symptoms of being in this stage of life until recently, maybe more so this year. So as far as like educating myself so that I can educate her so then she's not taking it personally and feeling like I'm <laughs> checking out when I'm not remembering it actually is, is just brain fog. And I legit can't remember. <laughs> You're like, I'm not trying to be a jerk. My I care and I'm listening and I just forgot. <laughs> I care and I'm listening uh, uh. and my brain doesn't have as many hormones yeah, as Yeah, but I to. think that's probably the biggest symptom I feel like I am experiencing is a little bit of brain fog. And again, that just like extended feeling of like, Oh, my period is coming like hunger. I feel like my appetite has kind of increased recently. Yeah. And I don't know if that has to do with that or other factors. And how old were you when you had your kiddos? Um, I was 16, um, turned 17 right after my son, my oldest. And then my second two children I had in my late 20s. How has the process of perimenopause been for you as a parent of adult children? Huh. Well, the first thing I think of for some reason when you ask me that question is just like, Really being mindful um, about how I'm communicating to my 23-year-old daughter about what I'm going through because I want her to feel confident, you know, because I think growing up, nobody talked to me about that. I had no idea. I mean, I just heard it as like the change of life. And it seemed very daunting and kind of scary. And I feel like 
that can carry on now. Like sometimes I'm like, oh God, I'm scared. Like, what is it going to be like on the other side or whatever? And I think that it might have benefited me to receive education from the older women in my life. And so I want to provide that for her. Did you get any education or messages about people in your life? I mean, I grew up with my dad and I didn't really have a lot of strong older women in my life. And so I feel like I just kind of have to do that on my own. Yeah. The education part. What about you, April? Did you get any sort of messages from your mom or your aunts or your grandma? Or what was that (laughs) experience like for you? Yeah, I feel like I didn't get much education around that. I feel like there was like two people in my life that I ever knew that were menopausal or perimenopausal. One, going back to being a mom, it was like, I remember my son being in kindergarten and this woman, there was an older mother. She was in her 40s at that time, which seemed old to me. (laughs) (laughs) Old old mom like me. (laughs) Um, And all she was always complaining about hot flashes. I was like, geez, lady, like, okay. (laughs) That was one example that I saw, but I didn't have a lot of information. And then I remember my mom like taking birth control pills. Yeah. And yeah, my grandmother and my aunt, the, the, matrilineal line didn't share much of anything with me about this whole thing. Yeah, I think that's kind of like that older way of thinking Mm -hmm. of like, okay, I'm in this phase of my life. My youth is gone. I'm no longer viable. Like I'm no longer fruitful. Yeah. You know, and I think it's really beautiful and cool that women are educating themselves and sharing with each other and I feel like it's just the beginning of a new phase. It's not like you said that downward decline. And that's why I said, oh, because I'm like, I don't feel like that. And I feel lucky in that I'm not the type of person that's super freaked out about aging. But I just think it's like in my mind, I think back to those women and they're their, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time finding my word, but like their inability to educate themselves or maybe just like what was available to them that created that fear factor for them. And I think it's cool now that we're sitting here together, we're openly talking about it. It's not taboo and it's not the end of the world as we know it. You're beautiful, you're hot and you're just entering a new phase of life. You're not like super old or anything but like having you know I'm always like oh well Naomi's five years older than me and she's like still super hot and having fun so I always look (laughs) like look a little bit ahead and be like well it seems fine (laughs) we've got it it's no it's not a big deal but it's interesting April because you come from like a pretty matrilineal family right like when I think of your family I think about like your grandma and your aunt and your mom and your mom is a nurse like she's in the healthcare profession so it's interesting that that was like a black box of information that it wasn't necessarily like hey we've all gone through this thing here are the pros here are the cons here's what you can expect it was just kind of like nope we don't talk about it yeah well I mean there's I think a lot of reasons that go into that but yeah that I come from a line of nurses my grandmother was a nurse my aunt was in healthcare. My mom was in healthcare. Um, and at the same time, they were working their asses off. They weren't home a lot Yeah, to like have these conversations. Right. And so, yeah, I'm also surprised that that like went over. But I know there's also a lot of shame yeah. and like bury your feelings. And like, we don't talk about that. And we just do like, I mean, we're talking boomer generation yeah. and the great generation. And it's like, you got to like take care of your household and period. Right. Like we're not stopping to talk about our feelings. We're doing X, Y, Z. And I would say in my my household, it was like I didn't hear anything. 
except for kind of like jokes about how my mom was like mad at us or me, you know, like kind of like, oh, ha ha, your mom, you know, your mom, she's going through the change. Like, be careful. You're going to get in trouble. But like, really, there wasn't any like in-depth conversation or I think like guideposts or like positive messaging. Like, I think if anything, the messages we received were kind of like negative or again, like jokey, but certainly not like hey, this is a phase of life and this is what you might expect and here's some things that were helpful for me. Here were some things that were challenging for me. So I think that's one of the reasons why people get to this phase, especially if they're just, you know, in their late 30s or early 40s and we have this idea of like menopause is something that one happens to old people and I'm not an old person, so therefore it like couldn't happen to me. Because I think regardless of your age, at least for me, like I certainly don't feel old. And even when I'm hanging out sometimes with like people my old age, my own age, I'm like, who are these grownups? <laughs> I, all yes. the time. I'm always like, oh, do I look like that? <laughs> I'm always like, do I act like that? Wow, y'all really seem to have your shit together. Uh, what's going on, grownups? Like, how did I get invited to this party full of adults when I am still clearly a teenager? Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, like what I what I tell people, the benefit of the perspective I get from my job is that Everybody we think has their shit together is like dealing with their own stuff, right? Like we're, there's always that like forward facing presentation. And then you get people talking or they're, you know, obviously in my office, we're talking about all sorts of stuff, stress and relationships. And we're like, oh, yeah, even those people that present as like having their shit together and blah, blah. Like those are usually the folks that are like honestly falling apart behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. But thinking of that idea of like perimenopause is something or menopause is something that happens to old people. I'm in my late 30s. I'm in my early 40s. I'm starting to have more vague symptoms, maybe a little bit more anxiety or sleep disruption. We're not putting two and two together. Oh, my hormones are starting to change. If I'm looking for intervention or if I'm looking to talk to a healthcare provider, it's often not on their radar either as something. So we might be, oh, here's a medication for anxiety. Here's a sleep medication, but not necessarily looking at like, oh, actually, this is perimenopausal. So, oh, this could be perfectly normal. But if your symptoms are bothering you, like, here's all of the tools available as far as do we want to do hormone therapy? Do we want to do botanical therapy? Do we want to work on, like, stress management? But just understanding, like, all of these pieces make sense and they probably happen sooner than we think and also maybe sooner than we feel, right? We might feel like, no, this couldn't possibly be me. I am still, like hot young thing how could I be perimenopausal we can talk about it we can have community about it and take away some of that stigma because I think the more there's like a stigma the less we're able to share stories and the more people feel isolated and I think that happens along many topics of women's health I think it's important not only to educate yourself about what your body is going through but also the people around you because when I heard that your maybe your family kind of teased your mom a little bit or something like what if somebody was like hey mom are you feeling okay today yeah that might have been because I could imagine overhearing someone being like oh god you know it's your mom as opposed to someone being like oh mom like how are you feeling are you all right yeah also that whole secrecy piece it's like now like back in the day you never saw tampon commercials on tv right. or bras or anything like that and I feel like it's it's cool that that is out in the open now. Yeah. Dudes, you can buy tampons for your chick. It's okay. Like yeah. that kind of thing. <clears throat> and I think that that hopefully will 
lead to more communication with your family members like, hey, these are actually the symptoms that are legit that I'm going through. So if I'm acting like this, you know, it's not personal. It's literally something physiological that's happening to my body and I need support. Yeah. And like, just be, be like, oh, hey, I can tell you're stressed out. What can I do for you? I think our culture makes so much around women's health and women's well-being as like a joke, right? Yeah. Like, oh, ha, ha, women are crazy. Or, oh, you don't want a woman president. Or what she's if on she's her on her period? Like all of this like jokey kind of demeaning uh, talk about it because it is predominantly a patriarchal like approach to our healthcare and like the topics that we talk about. So yeah, just being like, just check in with your people. Check in. Yeah. <laughs> check in with your mom or your partner or your sister and being like, oh, hey, I, you know, how are things going? How are your periods lately? <laughs> or just be like, <laughs> what oh, can I you do know? for you? Yeah, just being like, kinder if you notice they're edgy. Because I've noticed just in general, if people are edgy or being jerky, it's usually that they've got something going on. Yeah. Well, there was something from a little bit back. I was thinking about like the fear around perimenopause. And I remember one other person that um, came to my dance classes a lot and always talked about like how it was the worst thing in the world and her yoni was all dried up. And I think that was <laughs> oh. like, I don't think we've talked about that aspect um, maybe, oh. but that that there's this fear that like you're going to dry up and like it's not going to function and it's not going to work. Well, I can tell you that's not true so far. Oh, all right. So, we got some juicy yonis on the pod. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> but I was so afraid, like, oh my God, like that feels like a, a definite fear. And I'm like, there's so much buildup and stigma and like, oh my gosh, but there's also solutions to that stuff if you have to, if that is your experience. We actually have a episode about, you know, vaginal and vulvar health and, and topics around sort of vaginal dryness. But I think that is a huge fear that people have. What are our stereotypes about what happens when we age? It's like, oh, we're not sexual anymore. We're not desirable anymore. Our private parts are going to dry up. We're not going to be interested in sex. And like, as I talked about on this podcast episode, uh, that's like one of the easiest things to address. Like if somebody comes to me and their only perimenopause or postmenopausal concern is like I have vaginal dryness, it's like, awesome, great. Throw a little vaginal estrogen cream on there. It's available. It's super safe. It stays local in the tissues and it works remarkably well like a majority of the time. But again, if that's not something you're comfortable talking about, you don't know there's a solution. If you just think, okay, here's the inevitable decline. My vagina dries up. It hurts to have sex. I'm just never going to have sex anymore. I'm not desirable anyway, blah, 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 blah. If you're committed to that narrative and not like considering there's other solutions, you're not going to talk to your doctor about it or talk to your friends like, oh, I'm having this problem. Like, what do you do? Because so many of the things we sort of consider as normal or typical actually do have answers similar to conversations are like, oh, postpartum depression or struggles with parenting or, you know, mental health and things like that. If you don't talk about it, you feel like you're the only one. Then you start having those conversations and you're like, oh, shit, I'm like a human like all these other humans. And we're all having these different struggles and problems. So if we don't ask the questions, we're not going to get the answers. I'm so glad that you said that. And I think that's one of the things I'm enjoying about maturing. And I want this for other people is just like being willing to be like honest and like ask things that feel hard. Yeah. And like once you get in the practice of asking things that feel challenging, you realize, oh, my God, that actually wasn't that big of a deal. Right. And now I feel better. The secrecy is harder than the thing sometimes. Like 
you're feeling weird about the thing is worse than asking about the thing. And then once you start talking about it, you're like, oh, I guess that's not that weird. Like, And again, the benefit of like listening to the stories of thousands of patients is like people be like, oh, my God, I'm going to tell you this thing. It's super weird. And then they tell me, I'm like, that's not weird. Yes. All right. What else? What else? Got a new topic? I've got a new topic. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> okay, topic. Topic time. Hot uh, topic. This is a hot topic for April Ashley Charmaine. Oh, my God. How do you feel like dating in perimenopause is different from dating at different times in life as you are our resident free bird? <laughs> <laughs> and we got to live vicariously through your life. Yeah, I think this is a good question. I find that I'm really aware of something that's happened to me in perimenopause recently this year is like pH changing mm. and like having like different um, ovulation might feel different or look different. Like the texture might change. Yeah. And so more than anything, I have to like pay attention to my body and like what's happening. And is we getting like, do I have this opportunity to like be wild and free or do I need to like wait for another date to like explore those types of things? So I want to unpack that a little bit here, friend, <laughs> if you're willing. So when I talk about vaginal pH, what I am talking about is like the specific acidity of the vagina. Sometimes when people are in like the holistic health or the healing world, they're like, ooh, alkaline. We want everything to be alkaline. But you actually want every mucous membrane in your body, but specifically your vaginal mucous membranes and your vaginal um, ecosystem to be more acidic. So the way that your vagina becomes acidic is we have the bacteria called lactobacillus, right? So if you're familiar with like probiotics, lactobacillus is a pretty typical strain. And that's the predominant strain in the vaginal ecosystem. So like just like our uh, digestive tract has a microbiome or our mouth or our sinuses, like our vagina has an ecosystem that has like many types of predominantly bacteria, but also like a little bit of yeast and some other species that can hang out in there. But it's predominantly lactobacillus and lactobacillus are called lactobacillus because they metabolize the secretions from the epithelial cells and make lactic acid. Lactic acid acidifies the vagina and in an acidic pH, it will inhibit the overgrowth of potentially less beneficial bacteria. When there's less estrogen available to the cells that line the vagina, they don't make as much secretions which act as food for the lactobacillus. So we can start to see the vagina become more alkaline, which again, in the vaginal ecosystem, you don't want to be alkaline. You want to be acidic. If you have a more alkaline vagina, you are going to be more likely to have infections, for example, like bacterial vaginosis. You're going to be more prone to urinary tract infections. And one of the ways to prevent that is actually to introduce estrogen back to the vaginal tissues with estrogen suppositories, etc. So when you talk about your vaginal pH being off, are you talking about feeling like more itching or a change in scent? Or are you talking about different intensities of cervical fluid, which is what is secreted around ovulation and can cause sort of different sensations or more discharge? <laughs> Let's that was get a lot personal. personal. We are specifically talking about your vaginal secretions <laughs> on the internet right now. Oh, Don't Lord. know if you signed up for this or not. Thanks for being my friend. 
Okay, for the purpose of education, um, yeah, we tell the truth. Um, I would say a little bit of all of that. Yeah, I would say that like vaginal discharge feels like it changes, like it's yeah. been changing, like it's different than it was before. Yeah. And so sometimes it feels like more like fluidy and like less mucusy around mm-hmm. that ovulation time. Um, scent can change. I guess we're getting real personal, but like I pay attention. I smell these things. I like, yeah. I'm like, what is this texture? Like what's going on? And like, are we good? Um, and as far as I can tell, like it's all good. And it's just a great like awareness. Like I think if anything, this is that gift of like getting to know our bodies even more yeah. during this time. That's one of my favorite things to talk to people about. It's like, oh, what are the different things you're like cervical fluid or vaginal secretions or the different like smells or tastes of the vaginal ecosystem like might be or itchiness or itchiness uh so one thing for folks in perimenopause like maintaining the acidity of the vagina so if they're not at a place where you know they're having vaginal dryness or pain with intercourse but they're just like oh things feel like slightly different that's a time where uh, vaginal probiotics actually using lactobacillus as a vaginal probiotic or eating more fermented foods, taking uh, probiotics that have those specific strains. It's pretty amazing that like what we eat and how we maintain our digestive ecosystem actually really influences the vaginal ecosystem. I always say like, hey, they're they're neighbors if you think about it, right? Like the gut ecosystem and the vaginal ecosystem really do sort of communicate. So there's a lot you can do with supporting a good gut microbiome, but you can also directly influence the vaginal microbiome with vaginal probiotics. Even just like plain, like super plain, no sugar, high colony count with like lots of probiotic yogurt can be really helpful for some people. Like if you're like, oh, it's feeling like it's just it's just not quite where it normally is. Applying a little bit of like plain unflavored, unsweetened, live fermented yogurt. I really like the Nancy's yogurt brand as far as like what yogurt are you going to put on your vulvar tissues? I vote for Nancy's. Um, But I think paying attention to that can be really helpful as far as understanding what some of those changes might be and like why they're there. The other thing I want to talk about is that change in cervical fluid around ovulation. Really a topic I love chatting about so much is that Leading up to ovulation, those rising estrogen levels impact the cells in our cervix to make a fertile cervical fluid. And that fertile cervical fluid tends to be sort of more lubricative, more slippery. I really am a big fan of, hey, you know, touch your body, feel your secretions, get get all of your senses in there. A lot of people aren't, uh, which I think is a bummer. Like this is all information that I, if I was the boss of junior high sex ed or or body education, I'd be like, hey, let's talk about our cervical fluid. Let's talk. Because so many people get confused. Like I've had people come to me like, I think I have a vaginal infection for a week out of every month. I have this discharge. And I'm like, yeah, that's your fertile cervical mucus, dude. That's like a great sign. Like, (laughs) it's okay. You're good. But they're disturbed about it. They think it's gross. They think something's wrong with their vagina. They think, you know, the, the only thing that indicates is, oh, yeah, estrogen levels have been rising and you're in your fertile uh, window. So if you're having sex with a partner that has sperm and you're not trying to get pregnant, like 
be careful. This is your your super fertile time. But during perimenopause, because you have some months where estrogen levels are a lot higher, you can actually see a big increase in that fertile cervical mucus. So even though it's not a time that we associate with like heightened fertility as far as like getting pregnant and having babies per se, you do get higher levels of fertile cervical fluid, but it can be more watery, but still kind of like voluminous where you're like, did I pee in my pants? Like, where is all this watery fluid coming from? And that's just your body responding to those higher estrogen levels. But really, that helps so much to understand because yeah. we do, I think there's so much fear of like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And like, I mean, I'm a hypochondriac. So I'm like, test, 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 test. They're like, nothing's wrong with you. <laughs> oh, you're perimenopausal. Like, yeah. this is natural. Well, and I think, again, when we talk about like black box topics or topics that are cultural jokes like stinky vaginas smelly vaginas eyes your vagina dry like there's so many like judgment statements and like vaginas loose vaginas it's like there's it's such a tool of like control and again if you know it's normal for you and you're paying attention to it then not only do you have that biofeedback from your body but then you can also get early signs of like hey this is actually different for me this is off. Maybe I should go see my healthcare provider and, and kind of get in with those early signs and symptoms because you are paying attention to your body. All right. So when it comes to dating at this phase of life, what about just sort of the mental emotional component, like dating in your 40s, not even necessarily like related to like strictly hormonal changes, but how is it different dating people in your 40s than it was in your 30s or in your 20s? <laughs> well. I would just say the biggest difference is my consciousness around who I'm willing to date and uh, spend time and energy with. In my younger maidenhood, if you will, I was, you know, pretty wild free. I'm maybe a little reckless, maybe a little careless at times. Yeah. And um, at this point, I just feel like, like for me, for dating people, I'm like, oh, this feels like 100% yes in my body and I've learned how to tune into my body and what my yes is and what my no's are and I'm yeah. like if it's not clear then I'm like oh maybe I'm not gonna like date this person maybe I don't want to do this with this person but if I'm like huh yeah I'm willing like I feel safe in my body then it's a yes and I think there's something about potentially as you get a little older you're like no I already know this isn't for me and it's it's okay to say no to people it's okay to not give them a chance if I don't feel like it. I think about all the people that are like so consumed with getting married and like doing the whole like family life and all the thing and like not judging that desire, but that like there's other options. Um, and it's a pretty exciting place to like be in sovereignty with yourself yeah. and like know your boundaries and know your desires. And it's a practice. I'm still learning this practice to be able to name what I want with somebody and like, oh, maybe I'm into this and into this, but I'm not into that. Um, one of my values that I've identified this year is like, I value intimacy. That can be in a friendship, that can be in a partnership, but like, I want to have deep connections with people and like I have you two like to be very deep in certain ways and I have other people that I get very deep with in certain in other ways. And so for me, I guess I am more of a open, non-monogamous, potentially polyamorous type. Um, And so for me, I'm just like, oh, yeah, like I can have like different people for different things and I don't have to have this from one person. And 
those desires for stability and like the companionship, I honestly feel like I have in my best friends. Like we uh, we joke about this a lot, but it's like, hey, you know, I'm there with you till the end. And if nobody else is there, like it's going to be us rocking, yeah. sipping on gin and juice. No, I probably <laughs> won't. But yeah, I'll be rocking. <laughs> I think that's really interesting because I think the for a lot of people being in their 40s, you know, late 30s, throughout their 40s, if they've been in a long-term relationship, that's often the point in which, like, I always think about, like, how much are our hormones influencing our brain? And when we're really strongly in our reproductive years, does that keep us in relationships with people for longer? Either because our bodies are trying to trick us, like, ooh, I keep having babies with this person, or, like, because there's a lot of interdependence as just far as, like, oh, I started a family with this person, or we bought a house together, so let's just stick it out. Then often when people get to this phase of life, they're like, wait a second, is this like relationship what I'm interested in anymore? Can I get all of my needs met like from this one person? And I think if your expectation has been like, this is my one person that provides every single thing for me, the likelihood of you getting disillusioned in that relationship or, or needing to move on is a little bit higher than if you're like, oh, I have friendships that I have also nurtured. I have hobbies outside of my relationship that I have also nurtured. And you just haven't been in this like very intense nuclear monogamous place. Uh, Naomi? Which brings us to... I knew it. Which brings us to... We don't have to go into detail, but like, (laughs) like, let's say we're sitting here in 2021 at 48. If you were to go back to your 38-year-old self and look at like where you are now and what has changed, like, What would you be thinking? So I was married for almost 25 years. And three years ago, I left that relationship. The standards that I'm holding for myself have definitely changed. And I'm like, okay, I'm approaching 50. And do I want the next 20 years to feel the same way? Or do I really want to experience something different? And I mean, just 10 years ago when I was 38, I feel like I was still like I was coming having a coming to Jesus moment already in my mind like okay this isn't working I'm not happy yeah doing this and then I think as my children got older and I knew that they were more able to be self-reliant I felt more and more comfortable to leave that situation and again it was like a beautiful situation and it was great until it wasn't yeah well I think we have this idea because our culture is like so obsessed with like heteronormative monogamy of like you meet this one person and you're with them forever and if you end that relationship that means your relationship was a failure or you weren't trying hard and sometimes it's just like relationships can end and still have been successful or had things that were great it's just like as people age and change your needs can age and change and also that piece on like you know, societal pressures. Yeah. Because I experienced that when I left my relationship, like some of my relationships with people outside of my relationship definitely changed and people's reaction. And I think a lot of times people put their own expectation on you and the success of your relationship when I'm kind of like, just pay attention to your own shit. And I think when Women are in relationships with men, especially when they have kids. If it's the woman's decision to leave, they're judged in a different way, especially if it's not people be like, well, did this person like cheat on you or were they abusive? And if you're just like, no, I would like to move on for my own personal growth and happiness. It's Mm -hmm. like, whoa, wait a second. You're like supposed to sacrifice your entire life 
in order to support the, you know, norms of this nuclear family and you're supposed to be a martyr to your children's well-being and you're supposed to serve your partner. And if you're just like, I want to leave because I'm ready to leave and like I want to grow and change. It's like a different layer of sort of judgment or acceptance. Yeah. Was that something that you experienced where you felt like people were sort of more judgmental than they would have been if you were like, oh, my partner cheated on me or, oh, you know, they left me. Did you feel like you were judged in a different light? Well, I mean, okay, so A, I left my ex-husband for my now girlfriend. So that was kind of a thing, I think. And then also, like you being this like, idol or of an example of love and it can happen and then like I don't know how many times in my old relationship people would come up to me like oh my god I don't know what I'd do if you guys broke up I never would believe in love again and like things like that (laughs) and I'm just kind of like like that's a lot of pressure guys (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't know though but then that's another piece to being older now that I feel like I don't give a shit You know, like if you don't approve of what I'm doing or you're like turned off by my choices, then I don't need to be your friend or we don't need to be in each other's lives. And I kind of feel like I really found out who my true people were, you guys. Yeah. And like, you know, (laughs) just like the good people in my life that supported my choice and really care about me and care about my ex and realize that that was like a move to make that benefited everyone in the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a beautiful conversation, like to say, you know what? We had decades of beauty and we were an inspiration to the community and all of these people. And now I can be something else and I can be a different type of inspiration as well. And like honor myself and value myself and like not remain stuck in a place that doesn't help me grow. Yeah. One of the goals is to have that growth and be like, this is truly who I am. This is what makes me happy. And the people who support me are going to stick with me. But it does, I think, require a, a high level of bravery to sort of move on from one thing that's like very stable and very accepted and like change paths. I'm like this picture you just painted about like wanting a change, like as you get into perimenopause, it makes me look back a little bit further into my past few years and like were there any other signs that I missed within my body that were signaling besides like missing my period besides having hot flashes were there other things that I might have could have been aware of yeah because I did have a significant change yes many significant changes in the last few years what I see is like one of sort of two paths people either get to this point and they feel really stuck and they feel really scared and they don't want to con- they don't want to continue aging and they don't want anything to change and they're like approaching this second phase of life from this kind of like frozen fear I don't want to go there but then there's this alternative narrative of being like oh cool this is a time of transition and change this is a time where you know my brain is changing my perceptions are changing my hormones is- are changing and how can I start to like tune in and pay attention to that and make some intuitive changes that are going to sort of bring me closer and more into my self. And that's where I get really excited about the conversations and being like, oh, yeah, let's like lean into that potential for people versus that like stuck fear potential of like, oh, no, what's coming next to being like, oh, interesting, like what's coming next? And also, you know, how can I tune into these new bodily powers that I have and and use them as a transformational force. And then how do you feel like what surprised you about being attracted to a woman and being like, oh, shit, like, is this a thing for me? Like, 
Well, I think I've always been a very fluid person and I'm more attracted to energy than yeah. to like someone's gender. I mean, really, it's more of a vibe to me, yeah. you know, and of course, you've got to be physically attracted. But I think that soul piece is what really attracts me to a person. And I don't know if it's being with a woman or just being with a different person, but I feel like a thousand times more comfortable to be like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Something this is happening. And it's kind of cool because we're learning from each other, too. So in that respect, I feel like it's definitely an easier place to be in for me. Yeah, you kind of have that shared biologic landscape exactly. to be like, oh, hey, you can to some degree relate a little bit more. Well, and more. the understanding, yeah. the understanding, like <laughs> the other day, she's like brain fog, you know, that's a real thing. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, it is. And I'm not saying men can't try to understand, but I mean, they can't be in the same position we're in because they're not. A woman. Right. Yeah. But they, I mean, there's a lot of really cool guys out there that do their research and really try to empathize yeah. and be supportive. And that's cool. Yeah. But it's not a share. Mm -hmm. It's not as much of a shared experience. And yeah. you found like having this partnership while I'm going through these changes in my body feels like more supportive, more open. And also yeah. it could be, you know, starting a relationship later in life where you maybe have a little bit more confidence, have a little bit more clarity and like can start like new patterns or new conversations versus when yeah. you're in a long-term relationship, I think one of the challenges there is that potential for stagnation or like, oh, we started dating each other in our early 20s and this is how we interacted and this is what our expectations were. And like, if you don't really push to be like, okay, I know this is how we've always done things, but actually it's not working anymore. And actually I need you to do X, Y, V because this is like what's different for me, I think. That's way harder. Yeah, it's, it's way, way harder. harder to change like these, like, and especially in a super long-term relationship, these super old patterns and ways of doing things and navigating through your relationship, as opposed to like, okay, I'm with a new person. I know my idiosyncrasies. So I think in old relationships, when you're trying to change those things, it's really hard because those same people come to you with that same reaction. Right. Instead of seeing that you're actually trying to evolve or you have changed. Yeah. You know. I think it's the same, like, for example, if I'm communicating with my parents, all of a sudden I'm like, why am I acting like a 12 year old? Because <laughs> you revert. You can't Because you it. revert to that pattern. And same sometimes with like my partner. I'm like, why am I reacting to in this way? Like, this isn't yeah. how I like want to be. This isn't mm -hmm. like where I am currently. But you're like, oh, yeah, because we've been communicating in this style for the last, you know, 16 or 17 years. Yeah. And we have to like push ourselves to 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 meet each other Progress. where we are in this current state yeah that's the kind of part that is a little frustrating is that I feel like now that I'm approaching 50 I do have a confidence that I think I've never had or I really strive for as a younger person and now that I'm like kind of really feeling like I know who I am and where I'm coming from and what I want all of a sudden my body is like uh no you don't it's like uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's for, menopause yeah you're like i've got it all figured out and your body's like Just jk yeah. <laughs> i've got a surprise for you yeah i never thought i would stop being the party girl on that like i like i used to be devastated if i didn't get to go out on like a saturday night or a friday yeah. night like that would be like the worst thing in the world and now yeah 
Caitlin and I are frequently like, hmm, let's we'll make plans and like I'm I don't know if I can way. stay up past like seven yeah. o'clock. Like we can't go out past seven o'clock. If That's I'm really not hard. Out of the house. And I'm like watching Netflix at home sounds so much more fun than going to some stupid bar. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like going to bed early and waking up meditating sounds and, way better. And for me, I feel like it's like getting up early is getting harder for me. And you guys know I've always been a night <laughs> owl. I've always been like I just I'm not very presentable early in the morning. And now it's like you guys get early, sleepy earlier. I literally am up all night and I have to sleep in or else I'm completely worthless. Um, I know retiring my party girl like identity has been so challenging. There's a little bit of grief. You don't have to retire that. Girl, she I has want to hear that. <laughs> I'm not retiring her forever, but like logistically speaking, yeah. it's just not, you know, like not like I don't drink alcohol really anymore. Yeah. I don't. Yep. I was just talking about that the late. other day. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things that's come up for me the past few years is like, well, if that's not what you do for fun anymore, what's your new definition what do we of do? fun? I yeah. know, totally. Oh, okay. This is a good this is a good segue because my final quick topic for us is as far as like what determines your health span and your lifespan, having friendships and relationships is actually equally important to exercising. It's actually more protective of your health than like not smoking. So for you, you know, as we're moving like away from more, you know, party girl ways of connection, like, oh, let's go out late. Let's do that. What are some ways that you found to continue to cultivate the relationships of your life as, you know, things have gotten busier, time has gotten more limited? And COVID too kind of put a damper on things. And I feel like coming out of that, like, anti-social moment in time yeah personally I've been finding myself have like I'm ready right I'm ready to be social but I I don't always want to be social yeah I'm getting there again yeah (laughs) yeah well for me I'm like for better or for worse a lot of my social and deep connection comes through my work yeah um I'm frequently in scenarios where like I get to have so many things fulfilled um on an emotional creative and spiritual level and so it's like a little bit of a challenge too. I'm like, it's fulfilling. And it's also like, well, do I like need more like hobbies? Like I joke, like, do I even have a hobby? Like my one hobby is kayaking. And that's like a solo activity that I enjoy by myself. But otherwise I'm like, yeah, like what's our performance thing? What's our like next workshop thing or travel thing? But that it is crucial. Like I find, especially I think going through last winter like I was like my saving grace is like having my social connections and like making sure that I'm adamant about having time with more than one person in any given week because it's very easy for me to hermit as well yeah Yeah. it's the hermiting tendencies and just being like oh my life or my you know my my weekly plans are so full already with you know work obligations and family obligations and things like that you're like oh I am not prioritizing my social connections and I can tell when it comes to like my mood and my mental health like just seeing other people like even you know one thing that's changed for me with perimenopause is I have a higher tendency towards anxiety which I like never experienced before it's very odd and uncomfortable but what I notice is like when I am seeing people more and when I'm connecting more I don't feel it but when I'm spending a lot of time by myself my brain gets like 
definitely a little bit weirder than it has in the past. And I'll be like, I need to call somebody. I need to make some like play dates with my friends because it is getting very weird up here. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I noticed my partner, I like <clears throat> bickering more and things like that. And I'm like, then we get out and we hang out with friends or we go out into the world and we do something social. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, God, we really like each other. We actually really have fun in the world. And I think you're so right. It is really important to maintain those relationships. And I know like I'm kind of more of the person I think wait that waits to get invited to things instead mm-hmm. of initiating it. And that's something I feel like I'm working on as a human being. But just knowing that importance, you know, because I mean, I really don't have much family. And so you guys are my family. And I'm yeah. like, I definitely think that making more space and following through and initiating is definitely something that I think needs to keep happening. Do you guys have any other questions about perimenopause for me? What do you do about itchiness? Oh, like vaginal itchiness? Like vulvic itchiness. <laughs> Vulvous, yeah, vulva. <laughs> I know we got to be careful with our, our terminology. Is mm-hmm. Vulva is the external yes. component. Because it has been an issue re- like as this year, I think. I'm like, oh, God, what is this? It's driving me crazy. Yeah, so oftentimes, going back to our sort of conversation about vaginal pH, is... Vaginas, as they are more alkaline, tend to be like slightly more sensitive. Uh, So one of the first things I would consider would be oral probiotics or vaginal probiotics, really staying hydrated and then like uh, uh, introducing some microbiome acidifying agent to the vagina, which I think like a cheap, easy, over-the-counter way to do that is just with that plain unsweetened yogurt. Yeah, and I used to treat yeast infections like that back yeah. in the day. It worked wonders. So we think about it just as like a treatment, but it's also can be just like a spa day for your vulvar vulva and vulvar tissues, right? You don't yeah. have to wait to have like significant infections. The other yeah. thing that can be helpful for people is for example, if you guys remember uh during the postpartum period, did you get like a peri bottle? Yeah. That you would use to like rinse your vulva with after you went to the bathroom because after you have a baby, sometimes there's like tears to the tissue or it's more sensitive. So you're like diluting the urine. Getting a peri bottle and making a very dilute vinegar solution. Like you don't want to burn your tissues. I would say like, you know, one part vinegar to 10 part water, even one part vinegar to like 15 to 20 parts water and rinsing with a like a very dilute, lightly acidic vinegar rinse and this is a time where you don't have to use like ooh the fancy organic apple cider vinegar like you're just trying to acidify the area but keeping that in the bathroom and just like oh yeah I'm feeling a little bit itchier today and using that as like a little vulva rinse after you go to the bathroom can help again acidify things and then if it continues to be an issue that would be a time to go to your healthcare provider having them look at the tissues and then talking about like oh do I want to do a topical estrogen or, you know, vitamin E is another option for some people, depending on how, what their comfort level is with hormones, even though it's my opinion that vaginal applications of hormones are pretty, pretty dang safe across the board. But some folks, that's just not a modality they're interested in. Um, That would, that's like a good indication to see your healthcare provider and they can look at the tissues and say, oh yeah, they're looking a little bit like they have less estrogen, which is going to make a more alkaline environment and make tissues that are a little bit more sensitive. So that can definitely impact like any itchy or uncomfortable sensations. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that just answered some of my question because I think that's what has been tricky for me is like this alkaline versus acidic 
pH and what do we do to maximize what we want Yes, and minimize what we don't want. Yeah. Okay, friends, I think we've talked about all the things today. We've made some uh, important revelations. We've talked about our vaginal microbiomes. Feel closer than ever to you, my dear besties. So thanks so much for coming. Thanks for always supporting me. Thanks for sharing your vulnerable tales and your uh, hard-earned wisdom. I love you. Love you so bad. Thanks for helping us to know our vulva life way better. (laughs) I feel so much more um, educated and enlightened now. Thank you. Oh, thanks, friends. Love you. Bye-bye. All of the dogs in the Denver metro area just started howling. (laughs) They're like, what was that high-pitched noise? Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Change, a podcast about perimenopause for folks in their 30s and 40s. I'm Dr. Caitlin O'Connor, and our executive producer and audio engineer is Janice Matsko of Empowerment Ventures, theme song created by Lady Gang Music from Denver, Colorado. You can check out show notes and find and share episodes at drcaitlin.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can sign up for my newsletter. This podcast is a labor of love, and if you like it, please tell your friends and subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. Now for the legally appropriate disclaimers. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. This does not constitute the practice of medicine, and this podcast does not give medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship has been formed. Listeners should not delay or disregard medical advice for any condition they have, And if you aren't getting good care, advocate for yourself, explore your options, and try the best you can. Until next time, I love you, and you're doing a great job.